Hi, it's great to be with you uh, and be working through opening the Bible with you and working through this wonderful topic of holiness. Uh, my name's Greg, and uh, why don't you join me in prayer as we open God's Word together? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for its power to change us. Pray, we pray, Father, that you would do that great work in us by your Spirit. Change us, remind us of who you are and how we need to respond in your sight and move us to do that as we continue on um, through this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what did you think when you first heard that we were doing a five-part series on the topic of holiness? Uh, did you think to yourself, well, strap yourself in. Here we go. Such an exciting topic. I just can't wait. I suspect not. Holiness is not really on the top of the list of the most fascinating topics in the Christian dictionary. Let me ask you a question. What's your approach to your, to your own Christian holiness? Do you work hard at it? Do you, do you train yourself in it? Do you, do you pray about it? Do you long for growth in holiness and work hard to make it happen? If that is your approach to your own holiness, I have to say hats off to you, seriously. And I hope you continue to work hard at it. But I suspect for most of us, our approach is something more like, well, we know holiness is important and, and we say it is as we talk with others. But it's not really something we actively work on. It's something we might pray about every now and then, like for patience through difficult times. We, we hope holiness is, is something that God might work in us, might grow in us somehow, sort of incidentally, over time, maybe. We really, we sort of feel like holiness is an added extra for the Christian life. Something for the really keen, something for the Christians who will, who will just tend to take things a little bit too seriously. We might not say that in public, but, but that's how we think. But holiness is not an added extra for the Christian life. It's an absolute essential. In fact, I would go so far as to say that without holiness, we won't get into heaven. Let me say that again. Without holiness, we won't get into heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're saved by our works of holiness, or even that we're saved by God's great work of grace through the death of Jesus on the cross combined with our works of holiness. No, no, we are saved by grace and grace alone through faith alone. But without holiness, we won't get into heaven. Here are some passages uh, to help you to see what I'm saying. John 15 verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine and the father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And the fruit that Jesus speaks of here in this passage is the fruit of obedience to his commands. John 15 verse 9, just a little bit later in that chapter. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7. Paul says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
Hebrews 12 verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Those four passages and really the whole of the New Testament make it clear. Holiness is not an optional extra. It's essential in the Christian life. Without holiness in that last passage, no one will see the Lord. I do hope that thought spurs you on through this series on this essential element of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But before we look at what it means for us to be holy, both in Jesus, sanctified in him, and also as we wait for him to return in ongoing sanctification and holiness, today what we'll look at is what it means that God is holy. But what, what does the word holy mean anyway? It's, it's one of those words we might use quite regularly as we open the Bible, as we talk with one another. And, but what does it actually mean? When it comes down to it, the word gets a little bit slippery. Is it just about behaviour, about being a good person? In particular, about not doing bad stuff. Now, while that might be a part of what it means for us to be holy, that idea misses out on so much of what that word means. The word holy basically means set apart, different, separate. So the lampstands in the temple, they weren't your bog standard lamps you put beside your bed. They were holy. They were set apart from normal lampstands for a special purpose, set apart by God for the worship of God in his holy temple. In our house, We've got a holy frying pan. Here is our holy frying pan. What is it that makes this frying pan holy? Because it's set apart for a special purpose. This frying pan is used purely for making pancakes, especially pancakes on Saturday morning. Use this pan for anything else and you risk incurring the wrath of the great pancake maker. Holy basically means being set apart set apart for God when we read it in the Bible. But for us to really appreciate what it means, what this word holy means, then we need to consider what it means that God is holy. When we think about the holiness of God, we need to appreciate that God's holiness means so much more than the, than the idea that he never does anything wrong. God's holiness is about so much more than his purity. Yes, it is about his purity, but it's actually about his godness. God is separate. God is holy. God is different. Set apart from everyone and everything else. He alone is God. And the only way to really appreciate what that means is to come face to face with the living God. And every now and then throughout the scriptures, we actually see this happen. And the reaction of everybody who comes face to face with the living God is the same. And we'll come to that reaction in a minute. But before we do, what do we learn about God as we see people come face to face with him? We read the passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where God appears in a vision to Isaiah. In this vision, we meet God in his glorious splendor. There's an image of seraphs or almighty angels with six great wings flying above God enthroned. And they call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's a picture of power and authority. God is holy and his holiness means that he is in ultimate 
and complete authority. His holiness means he is powerful and mighty. No one can stand in his way. No one can thwart his plans. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, the passage that we read earlier. In this passage, we see this vision of the godness of God that Isaiah saw blown up for us and expanded for us. And it's a strange picture indeed. John sees a vision of God sitting on his heavenly throne in the heavenly throne room in all his glory and wonder and holiness. In verse 3, we're told what he looks like. And all John can say is he had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Like, what? What does that look like? God looks like a bunch of precious stones sitting on a throne. And, and how does a rainbow look like an emerald? But the point is, well, John's just lost for words. All he can think of is to compare the, the, the presence of God to the most precious and wonderful things he can imagine. Nothing can describe what God is like. He's beyond compare. He's beyond description. He's holy. He's separate. He's different. And this picture expands as John continues to struggle to paint for us this picture of the vision of God. Verse 4. Elders, rulers, leaders of some sort sitting on 24 thrones, living to serve the God, their great God and King. Verse 4, these four wondrous creatures that look like they represent the greatest and most powerful and glorious in all of God's creation. The ox, the lion, the eagle, the king of the, the domestic animals, the king of the wild animals, the king of the air, and then the king of them all, the one that God made in his image all calling out day in, day out, every single day. Verse 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In, and then verse, uh, in, uh, verse 10, 20, uh, the 24 elders, they lay their crowns at God's feet in awe, in worship of him. And this is a picture of the whole of the created order, the whole of the authority of humanity created to ring out the praise and wonder of the living God. Here is the world. Here is the created order as it's meant to be. The praise and glory of the one who made it and the one who sustains it. The great God and King of heaven and of earth. But what does it mean? What do they mean when they say that God is holy, holy, holy? Well, this picture that's painted for us by John actually helps us to see what that means. God is indescribable in wonder. He is powerful in his creation of the world. He is almighty. He always has been and always is and always will be God. He is unchangeable. He is the unshakable one. He is unable to be challenged and replaced or even compared to. The holiness of God essentially is his godness. Really, that's, that's the best definition I can give you. God is unapproachable in this chapter, unapproachable in light and power and purity and wonder and might. God alone creates. God alone sustains. God alone saves. God alone judges. God alone is worthy of praise and honour and glory and power and strength and everything. 
Let me illustrate this idea. When we see someone do an amazing drum solo or a violin solo or a piano concerto, we stand up and, and we clap and we, and we wolf whistle and we sing their praises in wonder at their skill and, well, the glory of what we've witnessed. And we speak about what we've seen to others. Now, we don't react like that because we think to ourselves, man, you know what, on a good day, I could have done that. No, we react like that because we think to ourselves, well, how did they do that? I I feel like I've been in the presence of greatness. If that's true of the way that we respond to one another when we see one another do amazing things, consider the wonder and the power of God and being in his presence and his creation and his sustaining of the world and his saving of sinners and his judging with eternal justice, God alone is the one who is worthy of all praise. And whenever people are confronted with this holiness of God and the true majesty of God in the Bible, there's a consistent response. Think about these different people who respond to the presence of God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they in chapter 3 of Genesis, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil, what did they do when they heard God coming in the garden in the cool of the day? Well, they knew they were unworthy to stand in God's presence, and so they were afraid and they hid. Israel was confronted with the glory and power and majesty of God at Mount Sinai. God had saved them, gathered them to himself at Mount Sinai and thundered from the mountain the Ten Commandments, the covenant that he was making with them, so that the whole community gathered at the base of the mountain heard the voice of the living God. And what do Israel do? Confronted by the presence of God like this, they run, they hide, they fear for their life. They call out to Moses, Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but don't have God speak to us. Or we will die. And they're right. We read the passage in Isaiah, chapter 6, where Isaiah was confronted with the holiness and the godness of God. Isaiah, the, the great prophet of God, who loved God and loved his word. What was Isaiah's response to this astounding vision? He said, woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of the King, the Lord Almighty. Think of another man, Job, a man described by God as blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. He's humbled by God in so many ways. And then in his humbled state, he demands an audience with God to plead his case, to put before God the injustice of what he has done. And then God appears to him in all his glory out of the storm and confronts Job and says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. And then Job gets a two chapter long lesson on how God is God and he is not. And how does this blameless one respond in the presence of the Lord Almighty? What does he say? He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. But you might say to me, well, what about John in Revelation 4? He was shown the glory of God in unapproachable splendour, but he didn't respond uh, with a recognition of his own unworthiness. That's true in chapter 4. But if you go back to chapter 1, what you see is that the reason he doesn't do that in chapter 4 is he's already done that in chapter 1 when he was confronted with the glory of the living God in the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I think you get the picture. When confronted with the glory of God, any pretense at thinking that we're worthy to stand in his presence, any idea that we have something to say to God disappears. God is pure and blameless and completely and utterly righteous. There is no sin in him. In Habakkuk chapter 1, we read this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God's consistent response to sin is righteous anger and judgment. Our sin arouses his anger because those he has made has, have spurned him, ignored him, rejected him. And, and with sin, the standing God's presence, we have no place. In the presence of God, we become keenly aware that we are not worthy. Our sin that we might have before excused and justified and minimised in all sorts of different ways floods into, into our conscience and we know that without a doubt it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of an angry God without our sin dealt with once and for all. The holiness of God, the, the presence of God in all his godness becomes overwhelming. God is God. I am not. That's the end of the matter. That's the end of the matter unless, unless God does something. And for Isaiah, an angel came the coal from the sacrifice, bringing forgiveness of sins, and his guilt is taken away. And he becomes fit for the presence of God. In Revelation chapter 1, John is told by the risen Lord Jesus that he need not be afraid. Why? Because he was dead and now he's alive again. The death and resurrection of Jesus means he need not be afraid in God's presence, in his presence, because his sin has been dealt with. But we'll look at this idea in the next couple of weeks. This week, what I want us to do is sit and wonder at the idea of God's holiness, his godness. And recognise that in the face of God, in all his holiness, we need to realise that holiness is not an optional extra. It's an essential in the Christian life. In his word, God gives us a glimpse of what it will be like to stand in his presence. And in his presence, we can't think that holiness is an optional extra when we come face to face with the living God. No, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if your approach to holiness is a little bit like the one I described at the beginning of this talk, you know, that it is an optional extra for the really keen and that you hope that somehow, some way it might happen, that God might do that work in you, incidentally almost, then I hope, like me, you've been challenged to renew your efforts to 
to put God at the centre, to change your life and make holiness your goal. Not so that you'll be a better person, though you will. Not because you want people to like you, because actually they might not, but because God is awesome. Literally awesome. God is holy. And God made you to stand together with the whole of the created order and call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have your being. We were created to treat God like that, to be in his presence and glory in his name. Let that idea spur you on in this hard work that is growing in holiness and godliness. But also, let this idea spur you on, that he is the God who came into this world of sin and rebellion and revealed himself to us as the forgiver of our sins. When we get a glimpse of the, of the glory and wonder and the purity of God and the power of God, we also get a glimpse in how phenomenal it is that this God came into our world to deal with our sin. Let that truth spur you on in this hard work of holiness. And one more truth to let you spur you on in this hard work of holiness. One day, you will stand in his presence. You will see him face to face. But without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are the great and glorious God. We praise you. You alone are worthy of all glory and power and strength and might. You are truly holy. You are blameless. You are powerful. You are just. You are righteous. And we are not. Father, forgive us for our attitude to you of thinking that holiness is a, something that might happen on the side as we go about our life. Father, forgive us of that sin. Help us instead to work hard at our holiness, because you are God. You're an amazing God who is worthy of all glory, and you created us to be in your presence and bring you glory. Help us to work at our holiness, because you, our great God, came and dealt with our sin. What a great God you are that you would do that. Help us to respond in holy thankfulness in our lives. And we pray that the reality that we will come into your presence, blameless in your sight, holy in your sight, if we hold on to what Jesus has done and work at obeying him. Father, help us to do that hard work of holiness that we might see you face to face. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I sign off, there's just uh, one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to recommend a couple of books that have really helped me uh, in this series on holiness, and I've read uh, a couple of times in, in the lead-up to this one. The first one is The Sinner's Guide to Holiness by John Chapman, a fantastic book. You can get that from Matthias Media, just covering the whole idea of holiness, what it is, what it looks like, how to work hard at it, um, and also some traps in holiness as well, in pursuing holiness. second one is... Uh, Kevin DeYoung book, Young's book, uh, The Whole in Our Holiness, that looks at our culture, our Christian culture on holiness and how uh, we've missed it out 
uh, on this the importance of holiness in our Christian walk. Um, so if you wanted to find out more, if you want to research more, there are two great books to read. Um, you can get those from your, uh, your Christian book, friendly Christian bookshop or that one from Matthias Media. Well, God bless. I look forward to meeting with you again next week as we, look, as we continue this topic of holiness.